Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone. Welcome to the 77th edition of the Leader Post Rider Rumblings podcast. Uh, I'm here with uh, the legendary Murray McCormick. Um, and uh, we're going to wrap up the Saskatchewan Friders season. This is our 77th edition, as I mentioned. Each week we pick a rider player from yesteryear or today, if uh, suitable, uh, with a corresponding uniform number. So number 77, we, we salute a member of the Rough Riders' first Grey Cup winning team, linebacker Wally Dempsey. And tight end Nolan Bailey from my youth. So, uh, Murr, uh, I think one of the, the primary topic around town right now, or around Ryderville, pertains to Stephen McAdoo. The play calling on Sunday and what the Rough Riders should do with Stephen McAdoo moving forward. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, the prevail, pre, pre, prevailing attitude seems to fire him, which I think is a yeah, that's way, a, that's my inbox as well, isn't that's it? That's a way overreaction, I think. Agreed. Did he not make the best calls down the goal line? Yes. Did he make mistakes? Yes. Are they questionable? Yes. But that's one game, one big game. It's huge. With but I think you look at his overall work in this year. I think it's worthy of he does he comes back. I don't know if he gets. I don't know if he's going to be considered for head coaching material as we brought up a little while back on this podcast, but. I think he does, he's going to have to have some questions. I think uh, I don't know if the teams go back and really examine a playoff game for well, for analyze and analyze for his decision making process. Was. I know he will. I mean, every player yeah. is critiqued after the season. I, yeah. I'm sure there, there's the same review of coaching and, and strategy. Yeah, and that was flawed strategy. Give the ball to William Powell till the guy can't stand. I think that's what they should have done. And even that pass went off the crossbar. I, I've watched it. I don't know if Kyron Moore was 100% open on that it one. It looked like he had a step, but the DB might have been able to yeah, jump the so route. I don't know if that was a, a 100%. And nobody was really open. Like, no. you look around the, the this expanse of the end zone, and there really wasn't a clear target there that, uh, oh, gee, he should have gone to him. Yeah. So Kyron Moore was the best of the targets. Do you blame McAdoo for that play? No. So, no. So that's the ones I think are the earlier stands when they should have been giving it to William Powell. Or, or even first time. Shotgun from second down, oh, second to goal from one and a half. And and Brian Bennett, who comes in basically cold. Yeah. Uh, well, and and I he was, did have a nice run on first down, so you yeah. give them that. But on second down, with a yard and a half to go, and you're in the shotgun? I remember halfway through the third quarter, I wrote down that Brian Bennett was warming up. I think I mentioned yeah. to you, and I said, why is Brian Bennett warming up? And then I started to look for Cody to yeah. find out maybe this oblique muscles were really. And I didn't see any indication that Cody was in any pain. Just Brian Bennett kept warming up. I kept thinking, I still, and I see even that. So we understand now why he was warming up. Because obviously those thoughts must have been down the road. that they keep him warm? Because it's time to get warm. But I don't understand that play. And another thing. When Cody Fajardo tried that sort of go outside wide on the short yardage, Cody Fajardo is a short yardage specialist. Why? Not, why do I don't? I don't know if I disagree with that call, but I just wanted maybe they should have gone right up the middle. You know, they've had some success this year going laterally. Yeah. But if you've got a quarterback with two torn oblique muscles, if you're going to run that play, I, yeah. I wouldn't have. It wouldn't have bothered me that, as much as if they'd put Brian Bennett in to run it, the healthier yeah. quarterback. He's been, and he's been the short yardage guy a lot. And aside from two plays in Edmonton that uh, were ill-fated, yeah. he was pretty good on short yardage attempts, and he and they, the, he had converted on a third-down gamble earlier in the game. But then you're running laterally, and uh, again, players got to make their they, – yeah. they've got to make the, the play work too. Uh, there's only so much Stephen McAdoo can do from the press box. At some point, you've got to execute the play. Yeah. And when players are, are blowing their assignments blocking-wise uh, – when Nick Taylor can come in and pretty much blow up the play, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just I, that's on the players. 
I found Craig's excuse for why they didn't want to run against Winnipeg because they have such a great short yardage defense. And they do, but you don't concede that. You have one of the second best, arguably second best running back in the league with a league with a line that's generated 12 offensive rushing touchdowns. This guy, third, over nearly 1,200 yards? About 1,093. 1,000, well, close. <laughs> 1,100 yards. And why not show confidence in them? Why not blast through there three times and they go, well, that's what you do. And the people are complaining because they should have passed, but yeah. I don't know. And understand. they're giving you a yard. The rules yeah, of the CFL are such yeah. that you've got a yard between the, uh, the the defense has to give you a yard. You know the stop, snap count and they don't. You should be able to get a surge. Yeah, and you've got should. an all-star center. So, And you've got an all-star. You've got a future Hall of Fame left guard. Yeah. So uh, They should have. And, and Taron Vaughn, their left tackle, was, was injured, not yeah. in there. So of all the directions to go to the left. Yeah. So, I mean, we can pick apart that play calling on Sunday from here until the opening of training camp, and I'm sure people will. But I think looking, taking a look at the bigger picture, do you bring Stephen McAdoo back? And I would, I would concur I would with what you're saying and say yes if he, if he wants to come back. Yeah. Um, if you look at the offense this year and what, what it was able to do, especially in comparison to last year, the bar was set very low last year. But mm-hmm. uh, what Stephen McAdoo did with that offense this year, I think on the whole, is impressive. Uh, they were fourth in the league in offensive points right. scored, but they were only eight points behind the second-best team. Yeah. Uh, Cody Fajardo, everything that happened with him, um, that's part. That's operating the Stephen McAdoo offense. And if you're going at Cody Fajardo now for the first time in his career – knows he's going to have a primary role the following season and knows yeah. where that is going to be. To what extent are you basically having Cody Fajardo start over if you bring in a new coordinator with a new scheme? Exactly, yeah. I, I think the, you have to almost look at Cody Fajardo and, and, and Stephen McAdoo as, as, Do, as, as a unit. Where, where's, the, where's Craig Dickinson's responsibility in those calls? I know he said he lets the coaches coach and does all that, but isn't it ultimately the head coach's decision? Like ultimately, his. So where does he? There's no. There's no discussion. There seems to be no question of why that call was made. Why that happened. I know there's a lot of discussion about what happened in the, the first half with the way the time clock was handled and whatnot. But he's kind of getting. Is he getting a bit of a break on this one because it's Stephen McAdoo's offense? Or do you think? Do you think there's any Craig Dickinson responsibility for this? Mm, or am I, I just know. being I mean, out there? That's just. I don't. I don't know what Craig Dickinson could have done yeah, at that stage the one that the one because the 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 possession that's still i mean there's two possessions that kind of gnaw at you and they were they came both in the fourth quarter in the heat of battle uh their first and goal from the three they don't get in yeah there the, there's the two plays that brian bennett was in uh and the brian bennett plays were early in the fourth quarter um if you say to Stephen McAdoo, okay, that Bennett thing wasn't a good idea. Well, it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't a good uh, idea. But they didn't try that again yeah. subsequent to that. So who's to, who's to say that? Uh, even that, that when Powell ran into Bennett, like that was a mess. That was an absolute yeah. mess. And I'm going like, why even try that? Like I still, yeah. I, you know, we watch all season long. We never saw those two, Bennett in that position in a shotgun. Like why? Yeah, he's a short yardage quarterback. Why is he yeah. in the shotgun? So I don't, but, and it's, but once that's done... Answer well, this question, do? Mitch Mitchell Blair. Do, do you do you be preemptive if you're if yeah. you're Craig Dickinson? I'm not sure that you step in at that point and say don't do that. After the fact, him. after the fact, I think you say don't do that again. Yeah, uh, you know it's funny how and Mitchell Blair brought it up yesterday's mail. All these opponents would do all the good things, get their time, teams down within the in the shadow of the goalposts, and then they get cute. Every league does it, and you go why? Like you can see how many teams they run, 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 run the ball right down to the end zone, and then they'll try three passes in a row, or they'll. 
with IP passes in order to try to run it. So I don't understand what happens to offensive coordinators' mindset when they get near the goal line. They get more conservative or they get more liberal or whatnot. It just seems kind of a weird situation down there. And nobody really has an explanation other than offensive coordinators. And we won't find out Stephen McAdoo's thoughts on this unless he gets attends some sort of media conference in his hiring or if he goes up with another team. But it'll be an interesting time back. I think they should bring him back. I really – I. People are not going to be very popular, and I know everyone wants to hang him out to dry for one game, but I think his body work taking a first-year starting quarterback, uh, turning into a pretty decent offense, go to an offensive line that was kind of, you know, in disarray, a lot of injuries, a lot of, you know, a lot of changes and stuff. And the receiving core turned Shaq Evans, Kyran Moore into basically stars in this league. And I, I kind of unfortunate the Riders did win that game because that Kyran Moore catch, is, well, was amazing. People would be talking about that for yeah. generations. And now it's not. It's just a catch on a what game. a play. And a play. Yeah, wonderful for him. We, we keep talking about Magda. I, I don't think people are giving the Riders defense enough credit for that game. They gave up like one touchdown. Pretty open and, touchdown. And, and, and when the Riders had some turnovers, you look at the interception by Rose, you look at the fumble by Powell, and the Riders' defense stiffened in those situations. Exactly. So. They got beat. I mean, they, they gave up some big plays. There was the bomb, Darvin Adams. There yeah. was a touchdown pass to Kenny Lawler. There was the, uh, there was the pass to Dembski. Yeah. So they, they gave up, I think, more explosion plays than they, they typically do. But when all was said and done, Winnipeg had 20 points, and you should be yeah. able to win a game in, in the Canadian Football League when the opposition scores 20. Yeah, but we didn't you – I expected a low-scoring game. I didn't expect to see people lighting it up. and you no, know, I But – you know Zach Kolaris and uh, the last couple. Of, that's that's not the Zach we saw. Zach maybe with Calgary, and even then, maybe we're just seeing back that when we had the three hundred and forty some play, yards against Calgary last year. Or, that was we didn't see that kind of Zach Kolaris. No, he was, he was a, airing it out. You look at yeah. that bomb to Darvin Adams oh, late in the game, yeah. and he. Uh, I haven't. I didn't look to see how far that ball was thrown, but that was an absolute rocket. Uh, he was well downfield, and he yeah. ended up being overthrown. The Zach, the the power in Zach Kolaris' throwing arm. Yeah. was really like a how factor. Many, you, we, it's kind of a common thing. You say only in the CFL moments you get it. And that's really, Zach is a, probably the lead only in the moment CFL. Starts the season with the Riders, gets hurt three games into the season. Three plays. Three plays, sorry. Gets traded to Toronto because this guy comes from nowhere to be the starting quarterback. Gets traded back to the Blue Bombers and now is the starting quarterback against the same team that knocked him out yeah. of the season. And the same guys on the field. And you go, yeah, yeah. We kind of say only in the CFL, and you go, yeah, that's that's only in the CFL, maybe. Well, if you, that if you, if you talk to written. Saskatchewan Fighter fans in training camp or into June, and you'd said to them, "What would your reaction be if Zach Kalaros is quarterback in the in the Grey Cup game on November twenty fourth? Yes, yes, yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> you got your they dream. got that part, but yeah, yeah uh, that's, good that's, for him. Good for him. I mean, that's uh, I'll be the first one to say that I was very skeptical from the moment yeah. they re-signed Zach Kalaros, and. Uh, like, why are they doing this? Exactly. And I was very skeptical after he got hurt that it was really a, a, a prudent thing for him to resume playing. So since he has resumed playing, he's beaten the Calgary Stampeders twice yeah. <laughs> and, and and then gone into Regina and Beat. won the West Division final. And so give, give him full credit. That's amazing, and he's proven a lot of people wrong, and I'm one of them. I hate to, but give Winnipeg's offensive line some credit, too, in this whole thing. Like They're protecting him. I don't, I don't think he got hit very often, other than that one where Charleston Hughes rolled onto his leg, and the more I watched that, I go, "That's a little iffy." I don't, I don't know. Yeah, if they and and scheme wise, too, they did a good job. When yeah. the Riders sent extra pre- extra pressure, yeah. the Bombers were ready for it. You look at the the long pass to Darvin Adams. Yeah, they sent they sent extra men. 
bombers were ready for it. So even when the riders tried to do things to exert some pressure, and they didn't do so very often, um, the bombers were ready for it. And uh, they were ready. Riders led the league in sacks this year, and they really didn't get close to Zach Claros on. Can we just give a little shout out? Patrick Newfeld's a member of the Blue Bombers offensive line, and I saw him celebrating with his family last night on Sunday night. I thought that was so cool that a guy who basically grew up playing RMF Luther, I think. Yes, Luther Rams. No Huskies. Huskies, Huskies. But a good, good old Regina boy. And it was just so cool to see him celebrating with his family. And I thought that's a touching yeah, that's moment. A, that's and a great he's story. a good. He's a, been always been one of the good guys. Luther College High School principal, Doctor Mark Anderson. Okay, well he can take credit for so, Patrick. The Newfield. best touched football. But I remember Bob ever. Wiley saying, trying to teach Patrick Newfield technique when he was first starting out. And, and he was good. raw when he and first he started out. And, and look at the career he's had. I know, and that's, and, uh, and he's I, going to a great cup. And that's just that's a great story. Great, great young, great young we man. Kind of look, yeah, when, and we always it's always been nice. He comes up and says hi, and it's always those things you see when a guy that kind of like that when people remember who they are. Uh, is there so? How do you assess? What does this do for the rider season? I remember I told you it's not a disappointing season. No, we talked season. about this a couple of weeks ago. And I said it's not a disappointing season because of what they had. I've kind of changed my thoughts a little bit that the way it kind of ended. It is disappointing. I think as close as they came, yeah. They were, they, I think Winnipeg was a better team on Sunday. Don't you? Yeah. You, you I, have to give it to them. You have to give And a whole lot of stuff about the riders. And the riders didn't do the things they were capable of doing, which is – marching down the field and getting game-winning drives. And so for some reason, that, I'll obviously discuss that. So it is a disappointing end of the season. I think there was a potential here that is unrealized because of what happened in that game. And moving forward, I was, I got story. they have a lot of free agents. And that, that won't make them unique, no, given the one-year contract. Be, yeah. It's almost like redrafting your fantasy team every year. with yeah. a few. Maybe they give you three or four Well, keepers. of the starters... 19 of them are free agents that started wow. on Sunday. Okay, who so, of the uh, of the notable players on the roster, it's much easier, easier to yeah. enumerate the list of players that uh, it, that isn't. So it's Cody Fajardo free agent, who aren't pending free agents. So Cody Fajardo, William Powell, Mike Edom, Edom, uh, LJ McCray, and Brendan Labatt. Brendan Labatt. Those are five people, and that's that's not a bad nucleus. <laughs> okay, if if, if, if you're an NBA team and you've got five, yeah. you've got five and five people who come coming back under yeah. contract next year. That's great, but this is a football team. Yeah. Uh, so that's a lot. The, the key, though, and we're not. They have a quarterback. Yeah. And I think you who can, can take, who can be a recruiting can, tool too. Yes, and you have a court, which is a big part of this. You have a quarterback, and I think and, and Craig Dickinson touched upon when he was talking about it the other day that. They have a head coach in place, and they have a GM in place. So they had all this last year, but there's a good nucleus here, or foundation maybe. But it is scary to look at all those numbers, like Charleston Hughes, Shaq. It's basically everybody, John Ryan, Marcus Thigpen. You look at the roster, he's a free agent. But You look so, at the receiving core. And so, they basically, doesn't their entire receiving core the entire receiving core is gone? The consist entire, of pending free agents? So does it look like this was a rental? That's, maybe people will look back and say, like Brandon Damon did in 13, brought in all these guys. Got is what he could out of them, and then they were all kind of dispersed. Well, they, a lot of them came back in 2014. Yeah, Corey okay. Sheets didn't because he had the NFL opportunity. But uh, does, it, does it look feel like a little bit like rental looking in hindsight? That's just the nature of the league now. I know because uh, there weren't one year contracts back in yeah. 2013. Uh, I'm sure every general manager in the league is going to face the same situation. Um, I think the fact that they got Cody Fajardo under contract is massive when you look at. His personality and his charisma, yep. and and how popular he is, 
And if I'm a pending free agent, especially a receiver, and Cody is on the phone saying, come on, come on back. Yeah. How do you say no to Cody Fajardo? Well, it's because it's money, Rob. And some guys, like, I, I think... The market's going to be pretty similar out there yeah. for everybody, is Pe- it not? People have brought up Shaq Evans. He's not going to get a Darrell Walker contract. No. He's, he's a really good receiver. But he's, but he's not going to get Darrell he's Walker 29. money. Are they going to give him Darrell Walker money at 29 when they have some 22-year-old receiver that can maybe step onto the field and, you know, was there already? Derek Moncrief, I think, can do it. I think if... Uh, I don't think he's Samuel Guavin level, but... Samuel Guavin dominated from right the whole season when he left yeah. to go to the Miami Dolphins. Rest in peace. But I look at I look at the the list of pending free agents and I don't see the I don't see where there's going to be massive bidding wars for a lot of them. No, but there were Shaq wars. Evans. I think a lot of teams would like to have Shaq Evans, yeah. but uh, I don't think I don't think what he's asking is necessarily going to be unreasonable. Charleston Hughes is a pending free agent, but he's he's almost thirty six years old. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that uh, there's too much left there. Yeah. So Matt Henry's going to be one. Maybe you can squeeze another year out of him. What do you do with Micah Johnson? Do you want to bring him back? You don't bring him back from 250000 a year. No. So there's going to be some guys going to be taking some haircuts and their salaries if they want to come back here and how badly they want to do the unfinished business route, which I think is also going to be another rallying cry and an opportunity to be in a great cup city with all the perks and pressure that brings when you know you're going to be hosting, playing host to a great cup in Regina when every second day where things are kind of going bad. You're going to be, guys supposed to be playing better. You're in the Great Cup. Oh, you, you have the Great Cup. Sorry. It's not like but if players think that this is a team that can go that far, then they're factoring in anticipated playoff remuneration, too. Yes, and that's a big and, part. And uh, if, if it's an all things being equal situation as far as the contract offers from elsewhere and from here, if you're a player, you're saying, okay, maybe I can make another 10, 20 grand in playoff money because I think this team is going places. That's, that's a bit of an advantage if – the Rough Riders are perceived from within as being a team that can yeah. can take another run at it. I but wanna... back to your point about how to how to regard this season, uh, I would put an asterisk beside it and call it a qualified success. Yeah. When you have a, a team that's that needs to win a home game to get to a Great Cup, when you have your highest victory total in nearly half a century, and you don't get to the Great Cup, that's abs- that's totally disappointing. Yeah. If you, but if you look at the season as a whole and what the projections were and compare that to the result, I think you could say that, that by and large the Rough Riders exceeded expectations right up until Sunday. Yeah. So I would, I would I'd call it a success, but a qualified success. And uh, Well, hang on. They've had two home playoff games, which is good. And so lost them both. Lost them both. But that's sustained. Is that, are we hitting sustained success yet? No, they haven't been to a <laughs> great cup yet since since, since Craig the, Reynolds first uttered sustained success. They have not been to a great cup. Yeah, that almost is in a of, league where there's five teams in the division and nine teams overall. Yeah. So. Yeah, but do we have two teams in the in the great cup? I haven't been to a great cup combined forty years, something like that area. I haven't won a great cup. I haven't won a great cup. Yeah. So that's. But it. I mean, they haven't. Riders have not been to a great cup since the last since Saskatchewan last hosted it. Yeah. So uh, that sustained success is at least getting to a Grey Cup, and they came close in 2017, and uh, they claim, came pretty close on Sunday. We're actually closer to January than we are to the beginning of the season. We're at our age, we're closer to December. But than look we are where in they January. were in January, middle of January, and Chris Jones quits, leaves them in a lurch. They got to find a GM. They got they find a, they get a great GM, and Jeremy Dew happened to be there. Craig Dickinson happened to be there. They get Zach Kolaris, whatever that means. And they sign some great fee agents. And, uh, you know, you look at that. Mike could have been Michael Johnson. I think we're gonna, we are gonna have to wrestle with his season. But it's it wasn't what was an 14-sack season. But I think he was pretty effective most of the time other than 
we and I could figure out. But getting Cody Fajardo, they had some, you know, Manny Arsenal. Nice production was on the field, but I think it was quite valuable in the uh, in the locker room. And I think William Powell and these guys. So they had a a great season to to set things up, and then it all could have fallen apart on that first game of the season. But they still managed to keep going. And I think we got to give Craig Dickinson a lot of credit. And he mentioned the other day, someone asked him, what was the reason for your success? He says, we didn't change anything after that first bye week. We told the guys, we're going to that first bye week when they were one and three. We told the guys, we're not changing our schedules. You, can, you know, you're, this is what we're going to do. You can still travel, do all these things. We remain consistent. And I think the players appreciated that. Like maybe some coaches would have been punitive and said, we're staying here this week because we're one and yeah, three. Go run the stairs of the yeah. stadium at 6 a.m. And Craig says, no, you're professionals. I, I owe you this. I know. And you, from that, start, that point on, that bye week, they came back. They were one of the best teams in the league. So maybe Craig they didn't lose at home again until Sunday. No. So that's that's a pretty impressive performance, and it was a lot of fun. I, I know that I, was we, just a fun team. It was a fun. I, someone said to me, "How are you going to look back on? Are you sad that the season's over?" I says, "Yeah, because I, I can I honestly say I wanted to go to this Great Cup. I, I think this Great Cup would have been fun. I think it would have been cool to cover it with this team because we both know home Great Cups." are fun for the fans, and they aren't a whole lot of fun for the working people. I loved it in 2013. Did you? Yeah. I loved it in 2003. I loved it in 95. Okay. Well, you don't enjoy covering a home Grey Cup. Well, it's not. I just would have thought. I haven't been on the road for a Grey Cup in a long time. I thought it would have been fun to go cover these guys. Yeah, 2010. In 2010, yeah. That's true. That's a long time, Rob. I know. But I think, like, what do you, what do you think? What, is, what are the expectations going to be for this team for the Grey Cup being at home in 2020 then? So is it going to be Grey Cup or? Well, it's. I, I look back to 2012, 2013, and if you look at 2012, the Riders go into Calgary, they lose 36-30 in the in the in the division semifinal, and they had their hearts ripped out that day too. Darian yeah. Durant threw a touchdown pass, his fourth of the day, to Greg Carr with just under a minute left, and uh, convert is added. Riders are leading, and then Drew Tate throws a 68-yard yes. touchdown pass to Robbie Bryant, and that that was the year before they won the Grey Cup, and it also showed them pretty clearly some areas in which they need to improve and Brendan Tamman and staff certainly acted upon that. Yeah. So uh look at the, look at the, this year and they had their hearts ripped out on Sunday down to another down to the wire game. So uh if you look at through rider history in 2006 the riders go to BC in the West Final and are just ill prepared and awful. Mm-hmm. And Kerry Joseph when he was up here for the Plaza of Honor told told people, I think it was Fred Perry he turned to after that game in BC and said, that's not going to happen next year. Riders go into BC, win the West Final, win the yeah. Grey Cup. So those things have gnawed at teams that have gone on to win a Grey Cup. In, in 88, the Riders got their first home playoff game in, in or their first playoff game period since 96. Since 76, the next year they won the Grey Cup. Uh, if you look at 66, um, Riders lost a heartbreaker in Winnipeg in the West semifinal in 65. The next year they go to Winnipeg and win the West final. So if you, if you look at the championship teams in Rough Rider history, they've all had some heartbreak the year before. So the difference being now is that it's a lot harder to retain the nucleus of that team due to the one-year contracts. So where does 17 rank in that? Remember 17? That was a heartbreaking loss too. And then 18. Yeah, that was Cody Fajardo's fault, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it Cody Fajardo's. Exactly. I got to remind him of that too. But someone asked, was this... Was Sunday's game more heartbreaking than the '90s final, where they, where they won with the real well to James Wilder, and then Cody Fajardo scores on the one-yard run? Yeah, they, I mean, in '90 in, in in 2017, they needed to make one play to get there. Yeah. Even if the even if that pass to Kyran Moore is complete, 
and even if Brett Lowther adds the convert, all that does is get him to overtime, and yeah. then you don't know. But in 2017, they needed to make one stop. And the best, arguably the best player on the best defense. Yeah, and they didn't do it. And he couldn't do it. And what a pass by Ricky Ray. It yeah. still was a dart to James Wilder. But, I mean, I don't think it, it, it resonates with people as much because it was an East final. Mm-hmm. Just a bit of a different different vibe. This one happened at home with 33,350 people, people there to see it. I know we're, we're stuck in the press box enjoying life from our sealed world, but it looked like a fun crowd to be in. It was a perfect yeah. night for for late, for mid-November football, I think. You talk to any people who were there, they were they were, they were were winter. It wasn't cold. It was comfortable to watch a game. They were into the crowds. There was, We kept we looking up and we usually look up and we see lots of empty seats. There weren't empty seats in the fourth quarter. No. It was full, and people were in their seats. And they, too. You know, they got, they got their money's worth. My goodness, yeah. what a game! So it was a good. Yeah, as frustrating was, as it was, that was a classic CFL game, or at least a classic good CFL play, or, fourth quarter. So, do you want to talk a little Grey Cup, or do you want to see? Th- yeah, sure. Um, uh, can I? Can I say it? Because I guess I'm allowed to say it. Because I'm not. I grew up a Tiger Cats fan. There, as much as you guys bleed green, bleed green and white. I green black. Didn't and I win a bet against you in '89? Oh, yeah. I probably, think I did. Probably I won twenty bucks off George Bentley, I had a Tiger Cats fan, and I think yeah. I I uh, also won enough money off you that you any prospect of early retirement Exactly. Was I remember people were asking me all over the I city. definitely cashed in in November. As the only Tiger Cats expensive. fan in all of Saskatchewan, I thought I kept I got invited to hundreds of parties and I went to one with Ron Petrie, the late Ron Petrie. And just to watch them celebrate all these Ryder fans on that night, I said, You know something, it's okay, the Riders can have this one. It was well worth to see what it meant to people to see People at a party crying in tears and rolling around on the floor, and it was yeah, we'll give you and that. If, one. And if you look at Hamilton now, yeah. everything that Bob Young has done to sustain that franchise, yes, and who can imagine the kind of losses he has incurred oh, during the time he has been the Tiger Cats owner? And I wrote this in 2013 when Hamilton was here that uh, they should be so grateful that they have Bob Young for an owner, a benevolent owner. Yeah. In '89. The Riders almost, the title of the Tiger Cats almost folded after the 88 season. Harold Ballard wanted no part of the team anymore. David Braley stepped in and pretty much saved that franchise. Yep. And uh, they went on to, to David get to the great cup. another guy. That you know, and, and so he's, I mean, he's propped up two teams at once. But what Bob Young has done in Hamilton, yep. I know Winnipeg's kind of the sentimental favorite because they haven't won since, since 1990, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Bob Young, this Yes. This uh, amazing owner. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done to keep that franchise going. And look how vibrant it is now. But look how good Hamilton is too now. Like that defense was amazing. And Brandon Banks, I don't know how the voting is going to go for most outstanding player. I don't know he's up against Cody, who's a sentimental favorite, a lot of the Western people. But Brandon Banks, with voting's done. So if you're all going to yell at us, what are the results? Is the voting's done before Sunday's games. But I, I was just amazed. That catch he made bouncing along the ground. And he's oh, got so much speed. Goodness. And you just... You just think, how can they stop him? Because they know he's going to do all that, and he just dominates the game. And Simone Lawrence is a great, regardless of what you think of him as a human being or whatnot, he's a great football player, leads that team. And I think uh, Addison, what's Addison's first name? Braylon Addison. Braylon Addison. What a find. I love Braylon Luke Tasker. Luke Tasker is yeah. one of my favorite players in the league. And here, the story here is Dane Evans, a guy who comes in for the injured quarterbacks, because that's the whole theme this year, injured quarterbacks, comes in and leads them and looks – you know, they they may Jeremiah Mazzoli may not have a job next year. Well, he will, but not in Hamilton. Not in Hamilton. There's a just... there's a rider connection with Dane Evans. Is there? What's yes, that? there is. He played at the University of Tulsa. Okay. And a legendary figure at the University of Tulsa, Glenn Dobbs. He quarter... okay. We have a fire alarm. Yes. So, please buy my book. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, Rider Rumblings 77th edition, and we will uh, we will uh, return next week. 
if we're not ablaze <laughs> with the 78th. Uh, from Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone. We now have to evacuate the building. Thanks for being with us. Take care.